This podcast has been made possible by Planful and U.S. Bank. This is episode number 500. Okay, thanks for indulging us there. We've made it past the meteor shower and uh, entered a new realm. And uh, just very quickly, before episode begins, I want to thank you, our listeners, for sticking with us and growing in numbers as we continue on this journey. And I want to thank the finance leaders who regularly participate with us and allow us to spotlight their journeys to the CFO office, but also help us distinguish what sets apart uh, finance leadership. It is unique. It is different from the leadership being advanced by other members of the C-suite. It's more disciplined and very often more trustworthy. It's also very human, and that's something I think that doesn't always get discussed, uh, when it comes to hiring. And I'm speaking mostly here about mid-sized firms, but I think it can be applied much more broadly. When it comes to hiring, all eyes turn to the C-suite. Is this the company I want to make a career investment with? And this goes for every functional area. Make no mistake, CFOs play an enormous role here. This leader, the finance leader, this is the one that tells me the company is what it says it is. And what we've discovered, and I think revealed along the way here as we round the corner on episode 500, is that finance leaders feel responsible for that human connection, that power to draw talent into an organization. And then, after the hires are made, they become tasked with guarding that investment. Again, only one member of the C-suite wields the power of trust. This is episode 500. Again, thank you for listening. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak to CFO Catherine Edenback 
of certify. If during the course of your year you include finance networking events or conferences, you probably have heard of this travel and expense management software player. Lately, Certify has adopted an M&A mindset. And Catherine has opened a rather exciting chapter in her career as Certify executes a strategy involving multiple brands and, yes, multiple acquisitions, both recent and future. We speak to CFO Catherine Edenback after these words from our sponsor. In an ever-changing world, it can be tough to keep up with the latest FP&A trends and innovations that keep you ahead of the game. Luckily, there's a podcast for that. Tune in to Being Planful, the podcast for finance leaders and planning experts, and stay in the know about what's happening in planning and forecasting. Guests like influencer Chris Ortega, Boston Red Sox CFO Tim Zhu and Brian Lapidus of AFP will keep you up to speed on how you can put finance in the driver's seat this year. Find the full episodes at beingplanful.com or wherever you get your podcasts. P.S. Think you might make a great guest on the show? Shoot host Rowan Tonkin an email at beingplanful.com at planful.com. Hello, we're speaking with Catherine Edenbeck, CFO of Certify, an expense management software company based in Portland, Maine. Catherine, welcome. Thank you. Catherine, we want to find out about Certify, but first... Let's find out about you, and as always, uh, we ask our guests to look back for us and share with us those experiences they feel best prepared them for a CFO role. What, what comes to mind for you? So after working in public accounting at PricewaterhouseCoopers and earning my CPA, I spent a large chunk of my career at Fairchild Semiconductor working in their, on their corporate finance team. Um, I worked across a large number of finance functions there, including internal audit, stocks, financial planning and analysis, SEC reporting, and corporate treasury. Um, Working across all those functions really helped me to understand the different drivers and the views of each group. So I did, um, you know, foreign exchange hedging. I, I did the reporting to the Securities and Exchange Commission. I worked on all of our, um, our annual operating plans and our interim forecasts helped to provide guidance to Wall Street. And so as a CFO, you're responsible for all those kind of areas, and it's really been a great benefit to me to have worked through so many different finance and accounting roles. I was able to see what worked and didn't work under different circumstances, and I'm able to apply that varied knowledge to my current role here at Certify. Okay, at Certify. Please explain its offerings, and then I want to ask you what was the, the opportunity that you saw. Okay, yeah. So Certify is a provider, as you mentioned, of travel, expense, and invoice management. 
management software. And our family of brands are all um, software-as-a-service platforms and include Certify, Nexania, Tally, Abacus, and Captio. And we also recently merged with Chrome River. Um, we provide spend management applications that include automated expense reporting, integrated travel booking, time tracking, and accounts payable automation. Um, our competitive edge, we feel, is really our family of brands. We don't buy into the one-size-fits-all expense platform for all companies. Um, if you think about it, there's no way a company with five employees can successfully be serviced by the same piece of software used by a company with 50,000 employees. Um, so we really differentiate ourselves in that we have a solution for every company of any size. It seems like uh, it's an M&A-minded company. You mentioned Chrome River, but have there been others? Yes. Um, in 2018 alone, we acquired two companies, Abacus and Captio. Abacus is a company that focuses more on real-time expense reporting, and Captio is a expense reporting company based in Spain, and they're really our, um, our way into that international market. Okay, so as you shared, Certify is clearly uh, growing through acquisition, and uh, it's obvious that had to have been a part of your background. Uh, you have some experience in M&A. And I'm wondering, I'd like to see if I can combine this with our finance strategic moment question. Um, if you were to look into the past and share with us a moment of strategic insight that you experienced related to uh, perhaps some M&A experience? Is that, um, well, well, I'll give you some time to think about that if you like, but does anything come to mind? So a number of years ago, I was working at a large company, which was also very acquisitive. Um, and at this company, they didn't put a lot of effort into integrating new acquisitions. They essentially just slapped them on, utilized manual or one-off processes to consolidate. No real effort was made to streamline or drive consistency across the entities. They would just add an acquisition and then move on to the next one and repeat. Um, and there ended up being a lack of consistency in structure and in the accounting setup. Did it work? Yes. But then we got a new CEO who wanted to view the company in a different manner. And we did not have the ability to slice and dice the data or roll up the reporting in the manner in which she wanted to see it. So not taking the time and effort up front caused significant headaches later on and created a massive overhaul of the data. It would have been so much easier if there was more forethought to the way we might want to look at the company in the future. Um, so I decided that in a company where I was responsible for this type of activity, I would make sure we were always looking forward, being consistent, and putting in the extra effort up front, which would pay off later. And here at Certify, really tried to live according to that. We've moved all of our acquisitions onto a common ERP platform. We have a common chart of accounts, departments, and we've made sure the overall reporting was consistent. It's a lot more work up front, but there is a much, much bigger payoff in the end. So you, you take on these responsibilities with uh, so much of this M&A activity already underway. Can you give us a sense of um, what your priorities were as you stepped into the office? So 
as a result of the, the acquisitions, um, the accounting team was scattered across several offices with disjointed responsibilities. Um, we really needed to establish consistent accounting policies and procedures as the teams were really still operating under their old company's processes, some of which were better than others. So our first step was to centralize the billing and collections function across all the entities, and we quickly saw improvements in cash collections and DSOs. We then organized other job responsibilities to drive efficiency across the organization and also to better develop our employees. And I also identified several really strong performers and elevated them into new roles in the organization so that they could really help drive this consolidated team. And we're really seeing great results. We've been able to speed up the close process. Our external audit firm has been able to perform their tasks much more quickly and the overall team feels good about the new structure. So we always like to ask, what are the, the metrics that are top of mind? And it, it seems like some of the metrics that are top of mind for you are making, you know, you're making sure the, the mergers are coming together, that the performance and the synergies are actually happening. But what would you share with us, if I was to ask her, what are those metrics that you look at routinely every day? I would say the, the key metrics that we look at across all the companies are bookings and retention and churn. Um, these relate well to the software as a service acronym. You know, we have great software which results in new clients signing up, which are bookings, and we have um, world-class service which results in clients staying, which is churn or, you know, the flip retention. So bookings are the annual contract value of our new sales. So we look closely at these numbers and how they track towards our budget. And while we have great retention rates, um, churn is important to look at and understand what drives a number of customers that stay with us and what causes some customers to leave. We've been asking recently uh, finance leaders about what non-financial metrics they're looking at. What, uh, when I, and maybe it's the net promoter score, maybe it's uh, something related to the workforce and employee turnover. What comes to mind for you? So for our, for our reporting, we do, we look at um, net promoter scores. We also look at employee net promoter scores. So we look outside the company and we look inside the company so that we have a good understanding of, of what we're doing uh, right and wrong with our customers, and then also what we're doing right and wrong with our, um, with our, in, with our employees. I want to ask you about culture and how much thought you've given that along the way. Um, as you size up a potential merger partner, um, obviously it's a concern, uh, but it's not exactly thought of as a finance best practice, uh, assessing cultures and whether they're going to shell and find synergies together. What would you tell us? I mean, overall, culture is very important to certify, and it's definitely something that we look at. Um, we, have a, we have a great culture. It's a relatively young company, um, and people really enjoy coming to work every day, and they, they really want to be part of the company. And, you know, to most of the people here, it's, it's more than just a job. People really put their best effort forward, and that's something we want to maintain. Um, and we also want to have fun as well as work hard. And so that is something that we look at. However, we've, we've also had to be cognizant of the fact that um, our different offices may have different, different cultures. 
And so while we want everybody to sort of get along together and gel, we also need to understand that not everybody wants to do the exact same thing. Not everybody wants a happy hour. Maybe people are, are happy with a monthly lunch or, you know, so we've really tried to look across the board and truly understand what drives the cultures at our various locations and make sure that we're supportive of that as well. CFO Catherine Edenback enters the mentoring round with us after this. The business landscape is changing quickly. As the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases, you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. Okay, we're going to jump to our mentoring round where I get to ask you several quick questions intended to inspire and inform future finance leaders. What is it today that's exciting you about finance and business? So I think one of the most exciting things today is all the new technology that we have available to us. Um, you know, it drives so many more ways for us to truly dive into data and to analyze how our companies are doing. And the new technology also provides ways to really help with a lot of the, the basic, more tedious accounting. For example, even the expense reporting um, that Certify does. In, in years past, if the exp expense reporting would have been done in Excel, um, handled primarily by the accounting team. Now that we have these um, applications that can really speed that up, make the approval process much more faster, much more efficient, it allows the accounting team to focus on um, more interesting areas and more ways that they can really help to support and help drive the business. And so I, wanna, I had uh, sort of jumped over the question I often ask, which is when you arrive there, when you step into that office for the first time, um, you know, was there a piece of advice you wish someone had shared with you as you stepped in and took on all the finance leadership responsibilities? So when I joined Certify, I was replacing a CFO that was retiring, and there had been a number of recent changes to the company, a new PE backer, several new acquisitions, as we talked about. So I knew it was going to be a very exciting and busy time. And I really wanted to add value to the organization as we work to embrace our, our one company, one team motto. Um, being new to the company, I was more open to change, could really take a step back and identify some areas for the improvement. Um, but at the same time, I really wanted to run an organization that people wanted to be a part of. And I felt strong, feel strongly about developing employees and finding them and providing them the ability to grow within the organization. But I would say the one piece of advice that would have been you know, that I would give to others and would have been good if somebody had given it to me is just that you really need to figure out a way that works for you to disconnect from work as well. When you've got a really exciting, really busy time, sometimes it can be hard to turn that off, and you do need to take time for yourself and 
just disconnect for periods of time so that you can ensure that you go back into the office charged up and ready to go. I want to ask you about culture and how much thought you've given that along the way. Um, as you size up a potential merger partner, um, obviously it's a concern, uh, but it's not exactly thought of as a finance best practice, uh, assessing cultures and whether they're going to gel and find synergies together. What would you tell us? I mean, overall, culture is very important to certify, and it's definitely something that we look at. Um, we, have a, we have a great culture. It's a relatively young company, um, and people really enjoy coming to work every day, and they, they really want to be part of the company. And, you know, to most of the people here, it's, it's more than just a job. People really put their best effort forward, and that's something we want to maintain. Um, and we also want to have fun as well as work hard. And so that is something that we look at. However, we've, we've also had to be cognizant of the fact that um, our different offices may have different, different cultures. And so while we want everybody to sort of get along together and gel, we also need to understand that not everybody wants to do the exact same thing. Not everybody wants a happy hour. Maybe people are, are happy with a monthly lunch or, you know, so we've really tried to look across the board and truly understand what drives the cultures at our various locations and make sure that we're supportive of that as well. Catherine, with... Uh, I think I think you mentioned three different acquisitions within the time of your arrival uh, early last year. And uh, I have to believe this is a um, milestone chapter in light of some of these challenges and things that you're you're tackling. Um, would you characterize it that way? Yes, no, I definitely would. it's it's a it's a really challenging and exciting place to work. and it, there's always something new going on. There's never any any boredom. We're always um, we're always continuing to move. We're always looking at ways we can improve how we're bringing in new acquisitions, making sure that we're streamlining, making sure that we're getting everyone onto the same platforms, making sure that from a metrics perspective, we're looking at things consistently across the board. So it's it's a very fast moving pace here. And we, we really don't stop, but it's definitely exciting, and it's, it's a great place to work because we're all in it together. Everyone, the executive leadership team, we're all supportive of one another. We all have jobs that we need to do and um, things we need to focus on in our respective areas, but we work together so that we can really make the whole company with all the acquisitions pulled in a better place. Now. Not unlike many finance leaders, you have been able to build your career largely in one geography. I don't know, uh, where were you with Fairchild, by the way? Um, so Fairchild was also in the Portland area. Um, the furthest I've been was when I worked at uh, PricewaterhouseCoopers. It was in the Boston office. So I have managed to um, build my career, you know, in the northeast section of the United States. But, but largely in Portland, which is uh, pretty, pretty interesting. I would say, I, I mean, over the last 10 years, have you uh, been based mostly in Portland? Yes, I have. Yeah, interesting. Uh, and why, why is that of interest? Well, I have to believe every so often there's been a recruiter who comes and knocks on the door with an opportunity outside the geography. Uh, interested at all or, or no way? 
Well, at this, at this point in my career, my, uh, my husband and my family and I, we really enjoy living in Maine and everything that uh, Maine has to offer. Um, you know, we do a lot of skiing in the winter, so we really do enjoy, um, we enjoy living here. And the Portland area, I, I know it's, it's surprising to people who are from outside of Maine, you know, there are a lot of up-and-coming new companies here, which is, which is how I've been able to stay here and be employed here um, for so long. Not unlike many uh, people who ascend to the CFO office, your first chapter, you actually invested a good deal of your career time in one company. That was at Fairchild. It was, it was close to 10 years. Um, in retrospect, looking back, um, would you have left earlier now? Do you think it would have helped your career to move uh, into other opportunities outside? You know, I don't think so. I, I learned a tremendous amount there, and I worked in so many different functions there that I don't feel like I, you know, was in any way held up by my career there. I'm glad that I did, you know, move on and experience some different industries and different um, and got involved more on the, the tech company side because I believe that has opened more opportunities to me in the Portland area. Um, but I don't regret the, the period of time that I spent there at all because it was a great learning experience for me. Roughly 20 years of your career, um, just under 20 years to get to the CFO office. Is that a fair characterization, or would you, do you look at the world differently? No, that's probably about it. Last, my last company, I was the VP of Finance, and there was no CFO, so essentially I had the CFO role without the title, but, but roughly 20 years or so, yes. Do you think some finance executives are perhaps too impatient, job hop when it might not be the best uh, advice they could take? I mean, I think you have to evaluate every situation on its own, but I do feel like that can impact people where they're, they're very rushed and they want to move on to a higher or better, what they see as a better role. And sometimes it really does benefit you to, to stay at the same company for a while if that company is giving you the opportunity to do new things and learn new things. If you're stuck in the, the same role and you're not expanding, you're not learning anything, then I think, you know, it is time to make a change. So when it comes to uh, dealing with investors, uh, were you exposed to that uh, most likely at Fairchild for the first time? Yes, I definitely was because I worked on the, the SEC reporting side and, and, you know, worked on the, the guidance that we would give to Wall Street. Um, so that, that definitely applies. And while I'm not at a public company today, we still have our private equity firms as our, you know, as our major backers who um, can be just as intense as your shareholders at your publicly traded company. Just to touch on uh, that relationship uh, with the private equity company, we are always told there are, are such benefits uh, to uh, that having a large investor. What, can you reveal some, some of that to us? So with, with the private equity company that backs us today, um, you know, they are, they're, they're great, they're very supportive, and one of the, the things that I really like about this organization is that they put us in touch with their other portfolio companies. So if I have questions or I'm wondering how another CFO might be doing something, I can get in touch with one of the other portfolio companies, CFOs, 
who might be going through the same thing. And that's really been a, a huge benefit to, to being um, invested in by private equity. Is this type of networking sort of informally structured or no? I mean, we actually have summits where we'll get together. So we'll have a CXO summit where all the ex, where all the executives get together from across the portfolio companies, and then they have some that are a little more finance-driven, where you can get together with the other the other CFOs. So it's it's been very helpful, and you know, it's a great learning opportunity. Would you have a book you'd recommend to future finance leaders? So one of the books, and this doesn't necessarily apply across all companies, but one of the books that we read before our last um, CXO summit was is called Scaling Up, um, How a Few Companies Make It and Why the Rest Don't by Vern Harnish. And I just thought that was a really great book talking about how smaller companies scale to becoming large companies or unicorns and why why some of them make it and why some of them don't. And it was, it was just a really interesting read. A new uh, selection for us, so thank you for that. And finally, we want to ask you, looking forward now, what are your priorities for the coming 12 months? So our priorities for the coming 12 months are obviously working through um, any integrations with Chrome River as we, um, as we look at that, really ensuring that we um, continue to refine our accounting processes and procedures to continue to make improvements to, um, so that we can report faster and report better. And we're also looking at driving more robust reporting to focus on um, different areas of the company to really dig into product profitability and, and really get a better feel for, um, for different profitability levels. Smaller companies are much more focused on revenue and revenue growth, which is very important, but we need to um, drive a lot more reporting around our, our profitability and more understanding on that side. Catherine Edenback, thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader. Thank you for having me. Hello, listeners. Do us a favor. Be certain to subscribe to CFO Thought Leader on Apple Podcasts, or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or Google Play. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Oh, and by the way, the CFO Yearbook 2021 Print Edition debuts on Amazon this quarter, featuring 100 profiles of finance leaders from our 2020 season. Would you like to learn more about our CFO guests? Order the CFO Yearbook 2021. Thank you for supporting our efforts to bring you career journeys of CFOs driving change. We'll be back with another episode very soon. Thank you for listening.